Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Trojan Venture Podcast. This is the first podcast post TechCrunch and uh, looking to keep them going. And really excited for today's episode. And today actually still has a TechCrunch connection as I met virtually with our next guest over the TechCrunch networking app. And really excited to have her on today and be able to share her story. So today I'm excited to welcome Nadine Pfeiffer, founder and CEO of Hopstare. Hopstare, a London-based company, is a mental health-focused app on a mission to help people build their superpower confidence, allowing people to unlock their full potential and build strong mental health for good. Before founding Hopstare in 2021, Nadine was a senior manager at England's NHS, as well as a healthcare management consultant at NEL and a project manager at UCL Partners. I'm really looking forward to hear more about Hopstare's innovative approach to mental health and excited to hear about Nadine's personal and professional journey. So let's get her on the call. Hi, Nadine. Thanks for, uh, for, thanks for joining the show. Hi, Eric. Really lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to, you know, hear more about your story and more about Hopstare, especially because I have an interest in mental health, both personally and professionally, and really kind of would love to, you know, hear more about your unique approach. And so the first thing I want to talk about is one of the biggest things that defines Hopstare, and it's confidence building. Um, and so why do you feel that building confidence is so important to improving mental health? Yeah, for sure. It's And it's such an important question and we don't, um, and I'm particularly passionate about it as well because we tend to sideline confidence as sort of a nice to have or when there is a program, an app or service, oftentimes confidence is listed as one of 30 things that you'd benefit from, from participating or from downloading an app, not actually realizing how confidence is the fundamental root cause or root factor for good mental health so if we're, if we're taking a, a visual I tend to liken it to if you don't have confidence you know these the very common meme where you have a big glass uh, container and it has a hole at the bottom and what we tend to do with our mental health on a personal level but even within mental health services is we put a plaster on it we fix the symptom that we're experiencing aka the leak um, and we stop it for a second but actually that the plaster gets soaked it gets you know it gets loose it, it eventually comes off and the leak is back so really what we're usually doing is symptom fighting revolving doors we come back to the same symptoms over and over because we haven't fundamentally plugged that hole and made it and you know uh filled it with fresh glass so it's actually robustly filled and there's no 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 chance of a leak going forward and that's what confidence does to our mental health if we actually t take the time and go on a journey to really build our confidence. And what that means is build our self-esteem, build our self-love, our self-respect, all these constituent parts that make up our inner world that allow us to validate from within. It's only then that we stop, like we plug this hole for good um, of this glass container analogy. And yeah, we don't ever actually run into these, these symptoms that we keep experiencing because we've actually tackled what was underneath it. And you brought up some already some things that you think are obviously wrong with the mental health care system, but you have a background in healthcare. care. Um, and so what would you say are 
kind of some of the faults in the mental health care system as it is right now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the, the first one is that there's a perception that therapy is the solution to all of our uh, problems. But A, therapy is not for everybody. Um, a, it's it remains inaccessible for a large group of the population, A. Uh, there's also a lot of stigma and precon negative preconceptions, and that's not stuff that we can fix easily. Um, so there will always be a group, a lar equally large group of the population that's no, not, not going to go near therapy. Also within therapy, and by the way, this is not therapy bashing. This is not mental health services bashing. I think a great therapist is, is if you find one, like, like don't let them go. They're, you know, they're gold. But I think the reality is, like with any other profession, we've all had the the situation where we went to a doctor that just didn't sort our problem. Then we went to the next doctor and they fixed our problem. So my dad always said every, even uh, medical professionals, clinical professionals are ultimately craftsmen and there's good craftsmen and there's bad craftsmen. Sadly, people will run into the bad one, or maybe it just doesn't align with their personality and suddenly they have a bad experience. They find it. It's just not helping for them. And so there's a million and one of such reasons that filled, that dwindle, dwindle down the, the overall pool of potential professional professionals available. And actually the, the, the group, the population that can access high quality therapy that will help them in a way that suits their personality is tiny. So, um, so that's one, but also I think the way mental health works, certainly I have a background in the UK NHS and our health system here, and I'm a senior manager there. And I know for a fact that our health system is not set up to prevent, it's set up to treat. And that's also how, from a payments perspective, they're incentivized. So not that they're not getting paid to prevent bad mental health and invest in whole population preventative efforts. No, they're there if you reach a certain threshold against the wait list to give you uh, access to time-limited treatment. And that's it, maybe medication. So the reality is uh, we, in order to actually really get on top of a an escalating mental health crisis. And that's not specific to the UK. You can see it in the US and many parts of the world, we have to prevent. We have to prevent uh, at a whole population level. And prevention is a really fluffy term people don't like and can't really wrap their head around. And what I mean by prevention is we need to support people in investing into the mental strength, like we would do for physical illness to prevent physical illness. Don't wake up at age 60 and wonder about your terrible back if you've never exercised. Don't worry, don't, don't think like, don't worry about, like, don't uh, be surprised that you have high blood pressure if you've never eaten a single piece of vegetable in your whole life. These things matter. And like, it, it's not gonna, your health is not, physical health is not gonna be fixed by having one broccoli one day in 10 years, but by consistently having healthy habits. And the same holds true for our mental health. And confidence is really a key part of that preventative journey. And you talked about, obviously, how therapy is not for everybody. And there's different types of therapy from regular talk therapy to, you know, more advanced methods like cognitive behavioral therapy. And as I was going through Hopstairs site, there's obviously a lot of similarities, just from a functionality perspective to a lot of talk therapy apps that are out there right now, such as like a Calm or even like a Ginger and so how does Hopster kind of differentiate itself from the other talk therapy apps that are already in the space? Also, I really love that question. So on the one hand, um, it's important to say that we're not a therapy app. We're deliberately not clinical. Um, we're deliberately coaching. And coaching um, has similarities to therapies, not entirely different. But 
the difference tends to be that it's quite um it's very strength-based it's very forward-looking it's very solution-oriented it's very much um where do you see yourself and how can we unblock this that's usually the, the it, it whereas therapy oftentimes comes from the angle of what are your symptoms let's 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 see what's underneath those symptoms let's you know it's it's more of a problem it's more of a sort of not negative entirely but it's a slightly different perspective so that's one so it's and um what people also tend to like with one-to-one -one coaching in particular is that coaches oftentimes they are also licensed actually as counselors but they wouldn't often say that it goes back to the stigma and so on but the point is that people will talk more and, and disclose more to a coach than they would to a therapist um quite often uh, an interesting phenomenon and i think people feel also more liberate and 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 equally coaches can adapt more to the individual because not least and that has downsides of course but there's more plus sides than downsides in terms of because coaching is not as highly regulated as uh therapy is that coaches can be more free in adapting to the individual which makes a big difference in the personal connect um uh interaction but i think from an app-based perspective, what we want to help people do is um, not necessarily sit down for an hour on, an, on a two-week basis to uh, necessarily talk to a therapist, but to consistently, regularly, on a daily basis, make it easy for people and interactive to invest into their mental health piggy bank. So we, I call Hopster often the Duolingo of confidence building. And if you've ever used Duolingo, some people hate it, yeah, but most people love it, and you know it effectively helps you um, learn a language. And so that's what we want to achieve. That's the vision for Hopsters to help people in bite-sized chunks on a daily basis, be incentivized, and be excited about investing into their mental health through building their confidence. And Hopster, I might, I might be wrong, but from what I, I've seen, serves both individuals and organizations. I guess this would be kind of a two-part question. One, why do you feel it's important to serve both different types of customers? And second of all, how do you do you serve them differently? What is how is the approach um, different for each one? Um, I think obviously I can best comment on what what we're doing at the moment, and that's this might obviously change as we adapt to the market and feedback. But I think there's one uh, that differentiates. Um, so it's not necessarily that we would be serving organizations as, as such, because the end consumer should still be the, the, an individual user. But obviously, there's a lot of um, there's a big equity question involved when it's about um, targeting consumers directly from a from a go to market perspective, very businessy speaking. It's also a very, very tough strategy for and many, many really great products have failed this way um, so that there, there's that. But from an equ equity perspective as well, there's many people. So, for example, we target a lot of young, a younger audience in particular, and the affordability is much lower than in uh, in people that you know have established careers and certain certain uh, income levels. So, actually, making sure that we have a product that is equally accessible or equitable, equitably accessible, means that going through your organizations who uh, will will sponsor it will ensure that the end end user will be able to afford. AKA they can actually use it for free. And that's obviously a big, big plus. But of course, for an organization um, and that that kind of business suite we will build out over time, obviously there's the regular stuff around business intelligence uh, in terms of actually getting giving people aggregate insight or organizations aggregate insights into 
the mental strength of their of their staff or their students and um yeah to also see trends and and that that will also help them target their own internal resource towards the most appropriate use of that resource because right now they're tackling everything from very mild to suicide you know like and everything in between but actually where i feel an app like ours can really go a huge way to tackling in particular that, that lower acuity chunk and oftentimes people will enter crisis because there was not nothing available that was suitable for them at a lower acuity uh, space and again so what that helps is also offset that um that yeah that that need that volume of people and actually free up practitioners to spend more time with the people that really could best use that one-to-one -one support say it at a university level and now just kind of transition the conversation a little bit as everybody would know in the business and venture world scaling a lot of it has to do with fundraising right um, that can come through vc or can come through bootstrapping but how has your fundraising experience gone with hopstar um it was a it's been a roller coaster of emotions um and experiences i think we are at the time now in 2023 generally like any startup now in 2023 is at the point obviously where we see the opposite uh of what's been going on maybe two three years back where money was much more freely available or where projects got funded they didn't have traction they didn't have product market fit they didn't have any of the stuff that we now get judged by so obviously that's uh, that, that's just in the reality. Um, and I know optimists would say, well, the Airbnbs of this world, or I think it was Airbnb or Uber, they came out of a recession. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of opportunity in what might at the surface seem like a pretty desperate time for fundraising. Um, and even and even grant funding or uh, the accelerators of this world text us 10 years ago, uh, YC 10 years ago, they would have taken startups pre-traction. They no longer do. They have too much demand. They they will own. So there's very little funding and grants as well. They will evaluate you actually at the, in a very similar way from my experience as a VC fund would. So there's very little, um, particularly for impact-driven companies like us, very little funding vehicles available at an early, at, at an early stage. Um, so that makes it hard, but there's also lots of opportunity in it. Um, in a sense that that the people that I attract from my team that are, they're very mission oriented they're very they have in my view the right uh, qualities to really like uh, invest in what's required at, for a bootstrap company and have the grit um, and the re resilience the perseverance that's required um, which makes for a fantastic team and but I think I think there's another challenge for us being in mental health because uh, arguably there. It, it feels like an overly saturated market at the surface. Again, I think the opportunity within digital mental health is vastly under tapped. The solutions are out there are largely ineffective. They largely don't have product market fit, especially where the VC funding is involved. Patience is low. Um, it's about return on investment and return on investment by yesterday. So the focus will be on heavy growth. Uh, sadly, as we've learned, oftentimes at the expense of product market fit and true impact in terms of actual betterment of people who use the product. And so, so there's a level of incompatibility, at least the way VC, VC funding is structured right now, with 
mental digital mental health in general because if you really want to build a product that is going to really make a dent a big dent in people's mental health and improve it vastly you need to invest in the R&D upfront and that's not going to give you a return on investment immediately but invest for two years and it's going to take off and take over everything else but that requires a mindset and you won't find many investors that are willing to do that so we've mostly been focusing lately on angel investors high net worth individuals particularly ex-founders who know what it's like to build a business um, and particularly engaging with just starting an impact focused incubator as well so being in more in an environment of people and the support network that gets impact takes a bit of time and we can't clean the ocean on day one and same with other impact businesses you've got to invest it first and then you'll reap the rewards later so yeah it's been interesting <laughs> well you bring up a really fascinating point <clears throat> that i've actually i've been able to talk with other guests that have come on this on the show about and it's kind of the uh, almost the catch-22 that we're seeing between venture funding and healthcare at large in which the incentives are not aligned and actually sometimes they're the opposite um, and as you said very interestingly you know for impact driven you know mission driven companies it often doesn't work right with the VC model of we want this to grow at 10x over the next five years um, and so that's a, a really a kind of an interesting point that you bring up. And so if we're just, if you're just going to kind of raise from angels over the next year, what are you and your team looking to improve on um, within the app within the next year? For sure. I think so far we've um, largely focused on getting the basics right. I saw the other day a really great summary of a of best approach for product like product service building like we do it said a make it functional b make it pretty c make it fast um and so we have focused on the functionality um making it a functionable product so ours is a mobile app based product so making it functional having all the architecture behind it being solid whether it's security whether it's uh robustness of the, the like all of those sorts of things so it's it's making sure that it has potential to be scalable and adapts to growing user sizes but also making sure we work up our content library by hand no we're not using gen ai because it's very important that our, our content is spot on and is, is well crafted and written by experts and and you know starting to build our ai models so all of that has come together now um and so this next phase, I mentioned the strap line for us is the dueling of confidence building. So there's a lot of interactivity, gamification. Uh, I actually spoke to VC funds focused on gaming and applied gaming as, as in like applied gaming to other sectors beyond gaming. And I think there's a huge opportunity to uh, mix gaming and healthcare, uh, particularly digital health. And so it's the, our next phase um, with or without angel funding is very much focused on making it a very gamified uh, of course, guided by user feedback. So not gamification for gamification's sake, but very much to aid the, you know, and radically improve and maximize the user experience. And that, like I said before, to really uh, maximize the attractiveness for the end user to invest in their mental health piggy bank on a daily basis. So that's the focus. So it includes a lot of visualizations, um, as I said, gamification as a whole and nudginess. Um, into interactivity. So that's our next stage. And that falls into that second bracket, make it pretty. 
and then obviously you can't neglect the speed until the last second but still also focusing on that and making sure we you know focus like fix some of the more boring behind the scenes issues that a user never truly sees unless it's broken <laughs> um so yeah so those are our focus areas and as many people have said the founder journey um, can often be very lonely and so it helps to have mentors or other founders who have gone through the same kind of similar experience. So for you, do you have any mentors or founders that you look up to for advice that have kind of helped you on this journey? I do have really dear, um, at this point, they're friends as much as they're mentors or and and they fall into all sorts of categories. Some of them are ex-founders now employed. Some of them have never founded before. Some of some are yeah. Um, so so in terms of that, I, I would say from a personal network perspective, I'm really I'm fortunate to have a really strong, um, mutually beneficial, just healthy, positive um, community. And and you know that's also by the way part of confidence building is to work towards that because you're not on this journey alone and you're not in this world by yourself. Um, but I think in terms of founders specifically that inspire me, I think that's definitely because I've only started the entrepreneurial journey um, to like at the end of this year it will be three years. So it was until that point a world that I didn't know. I always stood in front of the door and I didn't know what was behind that door. I didn't like three years ago, I knew one other founder no investors, never spoken to them, never pitched in my life, had no idea how to open a business. Um, so obviously, you know, at this point, it's probably in the thousands, investors, founders, whatever, big network. But within that, you'd find a lot of the alpha male kind of crowd. And that's, it's not my crowd. <laughs> I find it uninspiring, um, inauthentic, and just, it's just not not corresponding to my values. But I do have a suite of fellow founders and yeah, we do get together all the time, whether it's WhatsApp or on a call or in person if they're nearby to, yeah, just have, have a good old venting session and, you know, <laughs> support us in that way. Cause our struggles behind the scenes and every founder would say the same if they're honest, it looks very shiny and glossy on the outside, but it's probably usually a little bit chaotic and slightly disastrous behind the scenes. Um, and yeah and 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 just yeah just downloading on the on a, in a very honest way i think that's been a lifesaver from a um people that i don't know perspective i really enjoy uh following people that again it my values carry in all in all the in all the arenas but i really love following people like shaquille o'neal like i just think he's hilarious and like these kinds of uh become a figure in some shape or form in this case basketball or other ways and have just gone on also to found things. They don't have to pretend they, they've made it already. Like they can just be pure. They can, you know, do their thing. And I like them already as individuals, even if they hadn't found it. But it's those kinds of um, quite iconic and inspiring, just honest and, and yeah, authentic people that inspire me to, yeah, to, to keep going. And yeah, so my, my answer is not, not Elon Musk or any of those. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it's others. And so one final question to kind of wrap up, I want to bring it back full circle to confidence, but I want to ask you personally, what have been some of the most effective ways uh, for you to help build your self-confidence? Um, and how has that informed the ways in which you're building Hopster? Um, so 
I build my confidence by accident, as I always say, because I, for most of my life, I didn't realize what it really was. I knew the name, the the term, and I loosely knew broadly what colloquially you would mean with that, but nowhere near the depth of the actual term or, or anything related to it. And because there's so many negative connotations for it, for the longest time, at least how I was raised, it was confused with arrogance. And that's the last thing I wanted to be. So I stumbled into it never by deliberate practice. I was not, I didn't go into the world seeking, oh, how can I build my confidence? So I was fortunate I had a coach, uh, at a, a colleague at, my, at the time, and she offered me some coaching sessions. And within a year, and confidence came never, never came up as a word, but within a year of that first session, I pretty much had built a substantial chunk of my confidence. And everything changed for me, 180 degrees, um, my life changed for the better. And all those symptoms I've been fighting, coming back to the beginning, symptom fighting, soothing agents, all of that stuff was behind me. Like suddenly I had actually identified and fixed the root factor that gave rise to all of these different issues that I had. And so, um, so for me, coaching is a lifesaver. And I know for many, many people, like I think the, the stats are somewhere around 80% of people, if not more benefit large, a lot from coaching. Because what it, I'm sorry, what that does is to really help you help you get a sense, like help you build your self-awareness, internal and external. Self-awareness and confidence goes hand in hand. So the more you know, the more you decrease the of the um, Johari's window. I don't know if you know it's a quadrant and there's stuff you know uh, that you know and others know, there's stuff that you know and others don't know, et cetera, et cetera. And there's stuff that no one knows. Like you don't know about, you don't know what you don't know, that kind of stuff. Um, but the more you can enlighten that and really approach life with curiosity, approach your own uh, interactions in this world, your own behaviors, your own thought processes, your own internal narrative and dialogue with curiosity, ask yourself why a lot and don't stop at the first why. Okay, so why did I get angry? Okay, well, this person was really mean to me. Okay, why is that making you angry? Well, because, you know, he, he was very um, disrespectful to me. Okay, why? Yeah, take ask yourself another five whys and then suddenly you probably get to, oh, one of my family 20 years ago uh, was doing this and that. The more you know about yourself, the more you can actually build a tool, like build yourself a toolbox. Can A, work your, these things through, heal from them and leave them behind. And we'll also have tools in place to manage what's effectively triggers uh, or bad habits. You can identify them um, and get through them. So what, so I would always say coaching is, uh, well, what coaching helped me do, but I would, I would advise anybody and what's helped me is build my self-awareness, be extremely curious not get into that whole defensive mindset as to, you know, I already know how this is all going, um, but really embrace the stuff that I was terrible at, um, embrace my frustrations, embrace the stuff that I found challenging and difficult and painful and face my difficult emotions and interrogated why am I feeling this way? Um, and yeah, that really helped me build my self-awareness internal, external and, and uh, yeah, make tremendous progress. So that's, I'd say that is one. I mentioned community, really important. There's a very negative, there's a very uh, unhelpful, uh, how do you say, dynamic because people who lack confidence oftentimes attract people as friends who are equally unconfident. And they're, they're, there's a dynamic that's going on where 
both sides are compensating for what each other uh, is insecure about uh, and usually not consciously insecure about. And so actually what that, what that then does is at the point of when you really need your friends, they might not actually be there for you because you've curated a group, not because they've got your back, but because they compensate for something with, within you. Um, and so building the right community around you and being very deliberate about it and letting go of people, you know, you don't deserve to be around negative energy and people that don't have your back and that don't respect you and, and don't want you to succeed. Let go of them. Like they, <laughs> they, they're, they're going to hinder you from your own growth, from your own confidence building. And I'd say the other thing is just, yeah, embracing adversity at large and uh, always ask yourself, what can I learn from this? How can I grow through this? Rather than, oh my God, I'm a victim. Everything is terrible. Why, why does that keep happening to me? No, okay, go a bit further and look at what you can take from this. I think these are some of the things that I'd recommend to anybody. Um, yeah, never, never, never think you're a finished product. I'm not a finished product, um, but I've come a long way. So yeah, in a nutshell. Well, Nadine, really just want to thank you again for taking the time. Super excited to kind of hopefully watch uh, Hopstare grow and watch you grow as a founder and really just excited for all this progress that you've already made. So really want to thank you again. Thank you so much. It was a huge pleasure to speak to you today and thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. We'll chat soon. Well, guys, I thought that was a great episode. Really interesting to hear from Nadine um, and to hear about not only her, you know, her personal journey with building her own self-confidence, but also how she took that experience and her experience in healthcare in general to build this new type of company. I will say personally, I did a lot of research in the mental health technology space over my sophomore summer. And I would agree with Nadine that it's become a very saturated industry, but I think building confidence read in contrast to, you know, maybe just regular talk therapy or like cognitive behavioral therapy is actually a very innovative way to think about mental health on a long-term basis. Um, I think everybody can acknowledge how important self-confidence is for feeling good about yourself and having your mental health be in a good place. So really think that uh, Hopstare is tackling it the right way. And really was interesting to hear about her fundraising efforts, who she's fundraising from, her experience as a founder, and yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really great. So want to thank Nadine again. This was awesome, and we will actually be back on Monday for another episode with another special guest. So we will see you guys soon.